Hello, I'm Daniel Weinman and this is Brave New Brands, the podcast where we get to know the stories behind our most authentic consumer products. And today we have Jean-Sébastien Siu. In October 2015, he and his brother Jeremy launched Suitably. It all started from an idea to combine old-school tailoring with technology while making their products accessible and affordable. They've taken deep dives into AI, body scans, and other efficiencies to produce the perfect fitting garment at 50% of the price than what their competitors can offer. Technology is what differentiates suitably from the pack, but as you're gonna see, they didn't start with tech. I hope you enjoy it. Let's check it out. John Sebastian, welcome, man, to Brave New Brands, our podcast about startups that are changing the way commerce is being done in the world. And I'm very excited to, to know more about you, your story, and, and just chat uh, freely. Sounds good. It's a pleasure for, uh, for, for to be here. And thank you for, for the invitation. It's, uh, it's always an honor. Amazing, man. Maybe let's start from from the the get go. What was the spark of inspiration that led you to create suitably? Uh, it's a it's a good question. So um, my background is in engineering, and I used to work in in the um, the corporate world. Um, and what I mean that you know larger companies, uh, you know meetings, customers, consulting, yeah. and so forth. You know, wearing a suit was always an important piece of my my day job, and so. Uh, one thing that I just couldn't understand um, was, you know, why were suits or custom suits so expensive? So you can imagine that somebody that wears a suit daily yeah. would need to spend, you know, $20,000 a year <laughs> if they wanted custom suits only. So that didn't make any sense. So I think at the time, the idea was to be able to um, not only make suits or custom suits more affordable, but more accessible. And so we didn't see that there were viable options from a, a price point uh, as well as from an online point. So five years ago, we were looking at the industry of retail in general, and we were starting to see the, you know, the transition of brick and mortar into online. And so we said, you know, we have an opportunity um, to get our feet wet and try to find a way that we can sort of offer uh, custom suits online. I imagine there's also a personal story behind leaving the corporate world and starting your mm -hmm. own thing. What's what's behind that? You know, I was born in Montreal in Canada and my mother is Vietnamese. My father is uh, from Mauritius. Um, his parents were from China. And so obviously they, you know, when they came here and they met each other in university studying, uh, one of the things coming from, let's say, a war country or instability is that you want your children to, you know, study or, you know, something that's stable. And yeah. so... You know, the, the choices aren't, you know, I think I think as a parent today, I'm much more open to my kids eventually studying things that are, you know, less sit stable, so to speak, such as music, yep. art, uh, philosophy, whatnot. But in their minds, it wasn't much of an option. We didn't have much options. And so I, we stu I studied um, engineering. And obviously, you know, going to school, I realized that, yes, Although it's interesting, I was never going to be a phenomenal engineer, nor was I interested in being an engineer. I've always, I was always more into the business side of, of, of things. I preferred the face-to-face -face 
meetings and by face-to-face, not necessarily Zoom calls, but at the time, you know, I was traveling a lot and I liked the consulting piece uh, where I was able to interface with people. And so when I did my MBA, it sort of opened my eyes to the different opportunities and possibilities with respect to, you know, what we, what we could do. And with, um, you know, suits is not an easy business. Fashion is not an easy business, but that doesn't mean that it's, uh, you know, not doable. And so, um, you know, that's sort of how, you know, we got into it. It was a risky move at the time with, uh, you know, we had good salaries, things were, you know, going well. Um, but we, we tried our luck with this. That's incredible. Yeah. I, I totally can see the um, generational aspect of you now having gone through your journey now wanting a different, not, not wanting, but open to a different journey for your kids. Uh, how many kids do you have? I have I, I have two kids, so they're still very young. My 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 uh, my son is five. My daughter is one. Uh, so they're still very young. But as they're, you know, as my son, for example, is starting to get ready to go to school, I can see myself being, you know, yeah. open to these possibilities and seeing what he likes and, and and all those things. You know, my parents didn't looked at it as well. You know, we came to Canada. Um, we need to 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 have you know not not for for anything. You know, we came here for a reason so that you can have a better future. And so, you know, the decisions that you make or you have your kids make are a little bit more, uh, there's more at stake. And did you start suitably by yourself with co-founders? What's the the story? Yeah, so my brother, Jeremy, co-founded the company with me. But I think that, you know, I would have given my parents a heart attack if we both quit our jobs. Um, So, you know, I started full-time with suitably and Jeremy still kept his job and he was helping out in evenings and weekends uh, because, uh, you know, him leaving both brothers leaving their jobs to do this full time was a bit risky. Uh, And when things started to get, you know, much better, much smoother around the second year, that's when Jeremy joined, uh, joined me full time. Now that we know a little bit about about the background, can you share with people at home what suitably, what the company do, the vision, the mission? That's a great question. The, the vision changed a lot. Uh, And anybody that says in stone that their visions or their paths don't change uh, when they start a company is they must be geniuses because no one can completely visualize a future of a company and all the unpredictable things that happen. Uh, so, you know, in, initially the idea was to have everything sort of like an online uh, retailer for, for suits where you're able to design your, 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 your outfits online. Uh, and, and in that spirit, you know, getting a little bit away from all the tech part, you know, because we were sort of tired at that point and saturated with all the engineering stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, we started off doing things on the road, uh, meeting customers, getting the brand out there, getting suits out there. And slowly the vision changed and we realized that, you know, there were correlations in, you know, specific people uh, in terms of measurements, in terms of sizing, in terms of personalities, in terms of age, in terms of ethnicities. We started noticing that there's a lot of commonalities. You know, just to give you an example, I'm Asian. And so we started realizing that, you know, Asians have, you know, short limbs, short arms in general, right? Got it. Uh, versus, uh, let's say, you know, other ethnicities that have smaller shoulders in general and what, what so forth. So we started realizing as well that there were correlations between specific measurements of body parts. And so with the wealth of data, we said, well, why don't we jump in and start incorporating some 
um, technology and some data analysis. And the further we got into it, the smarter we got, so to speak. And, you know, we started using our artificial intelligence and using our data, you know, as a neural network where we can sort of draw information. So all that to say, uh, in today's world, Suitably is a company that sells custom um, menswear online. So dress shirts, suits, using, you know, uh, technology, artificial intelligence uh, to eliminate error. So not only are we eliminating the guesswork, we've, we're optimizing and digitizing the whole process rather than using tapes and very old fashioned ways of doing things. We're using technology to sort of um, generate the perfect fitting patterns for your garment. So, and so the customers can sit at home, use our automatic sizing technology, which consists of about 12 questions that the customers can answer. And we're able to dig into our database of thousands of customers that we've measured throughout the years and spit out the ideal, so to speak, um, garment pattern uh, for their suits. That's incredible. Uh, Just a quick uh, anecdote about i think it was the the year 2000 my one of my first jobs as in the software industry was creating an application for a, for a totem pole where mm-hmm. you would fill your measurements and and try to do what what you do now but of course at the time it didn't even work it was for for a big retailer uh the, it, it, it was deployed but very few people one even wanted to to use it so uh, mm-hmm. of course technology made leaps progress in the interim but you've uh, accomplished something that i i I've, i know it's hard to to do yeah i think i think one of the things is you can only get there by having you know gotten out there so a lot of times in today's world and especially with covid people like to hide behind their desks and get work done yeah. it, it, it's very hard to do what we do if you're not out there you know, getting your product out, talking to customers, asking what their preferences are. If you're 60 years old, your needs are not necessarily what a prom teenager would want out of a suit. So, you know, actually going out and meeting customers and measuring them and understanding them helped a lot in developing the, the, um, the, the data collecting that we've been doing. And it's more than just 12 measurements that we were collecting. We were collecting wealth of data so that, you know, we, we'd be able to get to the point there, that we are today. You mentioned it helped you with finding out what data you you need, how how to to use the, the intelligence that later on became artificial, but first probably was real human intelligence doing the work. Uh, besides that, did it help? you with the business development also like were you able to become profitable before you invested in technology and this kind of thing 100 I, i like watching youtube and i like listening to podcasts um, of successful entrepreneurs um not necessarily i don't really enjoy things like self-help you know the guys that just mm-hmm. sell self-help that's not my yep. I'm not really into that. I actually like, I like to listen to people that have actually made it in the business world. That really inspires me um, because they've done it. And so when I listened to um, an interview by Kevin Plank, who's the, the CEO of Under Armour, mm-hmm. you have to think, right? Under Armour, I mean, obviously it's had its challenges in the last years, but they were nothing 
and they were challenging Nike and all Adidas and all the larger yeah. brands in the, the, the athleisure industry. He mentioned the fact that, you know, before going out and getting financing and developing technologies, he always had this philosophy of saying, well, why don't you just sell more? You know, people are so stuck in trying to get financing. It's become sexy to go for round one, round two, and getting financed and diluting your, 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 your equity. It's become such a sexy topic with all of the shows that we're seeing that, you know, people aren't looking at profitability anymore. They're just yep. developing an idea, uh, but it's very easy to spend money that's not yours, not realizing that at the end of the day, you need to pull a profit. Yeah. So yeah. before we even invested any money into the heavy things like the more technological pieces we needed to make sure that we had a viable product at the right price point that was there was a demand that we, people were actually buying because if we're investing money into the technology and nobody wants suits to begin with at this price point there's it's a it's a wasted investment so before we even got into saying you know what let's start reinvesting some of our profits into technology, we had to make sure that we had a, a market for what we were selling and a, a, um, you know, a willingness for customers to buy suits online, yeah. a custom suit. So that's this. sort of the eval evaluation that we did before uh, investing more into that. So to answer your question, yeah, we, 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 we were profitable um, right away. That's that's amazing. I love really, this is my passion, businesses that even when they want to have a product, know that their business is actually service. So they start with service. And in my experience, whenever you start with service, it's hard to not maintain a culture of service later on because it's, uh, it's in your DNA. And then when you have a product with a lot of help from technology, you still see yourself as providing service to people. And, and of course, suitably fits that ideal of mine uh, perfectly. I think, I think you hit it on the nail. Um, it, it's one thing to have products online and sell them, but it's another thing to provide um, sort of that experience and that service um, that we do online. I think the experience that we provide our customers online is um, um, hopefully <laughs> currently unmatched and hopefully will not be matched. And we've really invested with COVID this year into the whole, you know, virtual consultation. So when we look at our calendars today, we've noticed that a lot of our calendars are filled with virtual consultations. Mm -hmm. And so that's a result of us wanting to continue on that service piece where You know, if you want us to hold your hand as you're adding your items to cart and you're helping to choose the options of your suit, uh, we do that. And we could do that through video. It works just as well. So I think that's the piece that, um, you know, that, 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 that's really helped us continue in the idea of service as we scale. Because service as you scale is very difficult. Yes, definitely. Definitely. And from what I saw on LinkedIn, you still have a very small team, right? How many people? Yeah, today? I mean, the idea is that... Um, We want to keep suitably, you know, in line with our strategy, which is to be very low overhead. Uh, mm -hmm. So we don't have stores, we don't have brick and mortar, and everything needs to be as automated as possible. So the moment that somebody enters an order, there's no guesswork, there's very little human interaction, you know, our tailors or anybody that's doing quality control gets a very detailed ikea assembly sort of list where mm -hmm. it's all automated there's no well i need to ask this person this i need to work with this department no it's generated 
you know, digitally for them. So um, we've really been able to sort of eliminate as much as possible the overhead. And the people that do work with us um, tend to, to be uh, multi-talented, multi-skilled. So uh, whether they're freelancers, whether they're outsourced, you know, we focus on the part that we're good at and we'll outsource the pieces of the company to either freelancers or, uh, you know, um, people that can that can work remotely. When you have this technology, the way I think about it is like a business process with the help of technology. Do you think a lot about the user experience on your team's end or on your partner's end so they're, they learn what they need to do and what are you expecting from them and what's the job by interacting with your technology or is it more like, guides, tutorials, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, they, we do a lot of learning on the job. So every time, you know, every because we're in such a, a unique business and every customer is unique in its own sense and the customizations yep. are unique, we realize that there are, you know, opportunities probably with every purchase. We find, we find opportunities that we could do things better, that things can be more automated, communications are better without over-communicating. Because if you have too much data, that's also a problem. Yeah. So, um, you know, every every sale is an opportunity and we'll revise that on a weekly basis. Uh, we have the luxury to sell luxury items and we don't sell a thousand suits a week. If, you know, like we don't have, we don't sell candy where we have to fulfill 10,000 orders a week at $5. We sell items, people on average spend about $800 to $900 Uh, U.S. per purchase, um, so we don't have to go through a thousand orders. We can look at, you know, fifty, one hundred orders and say, these are the opportunities. This is where we missed. This is where we got it. So we're able to improve on that. That's amazing. So uh, a lot of teamwork around learning and improving processes. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. It's 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 vital. I mean, I think. You know, the, the key and the, the competitive advantage in this business is uh, how well we manage our overhead. Yeah. The thing I'm trying to, to, to learn from you here is how much do you spend on technology for improving processes and, mm -hmm. and hiring someone new, for example, how much will you invest in like shadowing together with someone that's really experienced when you bring someone on mm -hmm. or using your, tool, using your tool Because I have an assumption that it's very expensive to build technology. And since the processes are, are changing a lot, you would be, have to be changing a lot here. That's a good question. Um, I, I, don't, I don't view things the way you do. I don't think technology is expensive because technology, once you've developed it, has, you know, there's tweaks to make and changes to make, but it's there to stay. So your technology becomes cheaper and cheaper in, yeah. for every sale that you're generating in the future. Right. So if you're selling one suit, that technology is really expensive. If you're selling a thousand suits, suddenly you're looking at the technology and you're yeah. saying, okay, you know, we have the, the scale to make it cheap. Uh, when it, so it's sort of a mix between developing the technology, but also we have a strategy in the way that we hire uh, our employees. We start looking uh, quite young. So we go, uh, we have, we're lucky in, in, in Montreal, it's a hub for IT. There's a lot of uh, people that study in engineering, computer science, um, and fashion. So, you know, we, we, I'm a big basketball fan. 
Um, and I love watching um, the way that uh, some teams, how some teams can succeed and some don't. I like to develop from within. So we will hire somebody that has a tremendous amount of potential, but does not know yet, or they haven't, you know, and not only when I mean potential, I don't mean I'm only good at coding. I'm only good at fashion. I'm only good at video. I'm only good at content. Uh, We find people that are very multi-talented. So the problem right now with companies is you have marketing that's very siloed, sales that's very siloed, technology that's very siloed, and they don't work together. Whereas we look at hiring people that not only can be good at content and understanding strategy, but can be very good at the technical piece. Right. So that's sort of like I'm a basketball fan, like I mentioned, positionless basketball. Uh, Back in the day, centers can only shoot layups. Now they're shooting threes. They're jumping, they're running, they're doing everything. So that's sort of like we want to build like a flat organization uh, with very multi, multi skilled, multifaceted individuals. Got it 100%, man. What would you say is your current uh, moment? Uh, I know I'm going to present two options, but, but you can, you can uh, add a third one. Do you think you have more demand than you can fulfill or more capacity than you have demand for? Um, good question. The, the beauty about the, the business is that um, we've built a business that can be scaled. When in the custom industry, we don't necessarily have um, inventory. So I don't, I don't need to hold inventory. I don't need to have suits available. I don't need fabrics to be available. So the, the way that the business is built is that we have the capacity exactly for the sales that we have. Perfect. And you can plan that weekly, monthly. What's, what's the, Mm -hmm. the adjustment you have? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the the adjustment is really in fabric inventory, right? And so Mm -hmm. fabric inventory, um, you know, fabric cutters, things like that. It can be it can be scaled quite easily because a lot of that stuff is are supp- the suppliers that provide fabric are fairly used to the ups and downs of demand, mm-hmm. and they're the ones that take the risk by holding inventory. And then in terms of um, cutting fabric and, and workmanship, um, that can easily be scaled up and down uh, with third parties. That's incredible. So if in one week you have a spike in demand, you can adjust for that one specific week and then, and then uh, reduce if the next week. Uh, That's right. We don't, we don't pay for unused uh, capacity. So we spend on used capacity and we make sure that the potential or the buffer for growth in capacity is you know, sufficient for any you know, spike in demand. I, I'm also an engineer. Uh, that's a very engineer-like approach to, <laughs> to, to the business. I, I love it. <laughs> yeah, good. I'm glad. And you know what? Like I said, I think, I don't think I've mentioned it, but a lot of people, I, I do, I speak to a lot of conferences, uh, to a lot of people and universities, and, and a lot of them come from fashion backgrounds. And they speak to me from a fashion perspective. And a lot of times I speak from an engineering angle. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. I see that you're understanding my logic in, in the way that I think and my logic in the way that I, I, I run the business. And when I speak, sometimes I have to change you know, some concepts a little bit because in fashion school, they learn the very technical parts of, you know, do customers prefer this type of silhouette? What about pattern making? All those things, it's completely different. Whereas engineers have to think like, you know, capacity, supply chain, uh, all all that stuff. And you end up 
innovating by not knowing the not, i'm not saying you don't know the terms of the industry but not coming from that not having been raised professionally fr from within Absolutely. that industry and what you say is imagine everything went right 10 years from now what's what makes you happy with suitably yeah that's a good question you know do we position suitably for you know franchising for acquisitions for brick and mortar for you know i have these strategic meetings um you know at least once a year with my my business partner and we're sort of looking at where do we visual where do we visualize taking suitably in three years five years ten years from now one thing is for sure is we'd like to dominate the online uh custom suits world um that's one thing and i think uh You know, how, being able to provide that experience online is probably the biggest thing, the, the, the service piece, because eventually technology will catch up. There are smart engineers in the yeah. world that will look at what yeah. we do and they're going to say, well, we can do the same thing. I think the advantage now is we probably have the first movers advantage and understanding the business and, um, you know, positioning it for there. Um, but yeah, I think, I think I'd like to be in about three to five years, the, the, one of the dominant players in the online custom uh, suits world. Yeah. And where are you at now? Do you know? I'd say we're probably in the top, top two in Canada, mm -hmm. probably in top five in the U S for Got online it. custom suits. You're almost there, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a tougher market. I would say, um, especially being from Canada, it's a little bit tougher to, to expand in the States from a PR perspective. Yeah. yeah right? So Uh, we have the visibility in Canada because we're local. Uh, news news will cover us because we're local. Now, how do we jump over that that hump and yeah. get the credibility in the U.S.? I think, and we've just opened into the into Europe uh, earlier this year. So, how do we start getting some credibility in those those markets? Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. You will grow the team. I'm talking here about a core team, not not the elastic team uh, mm -hmm. about a core team by by some factor once you go uh, stronger in Europe the US and the whole world as as an entrepreneur do you have a cap size in terms of a team you want to work with do you do you see yourself growing as much as needed to achieve that goal what's what's the because there there are trade-offs in terms of culture yeah absolutely absolutely uh, one thing's for sure is we're not we're not going to grow grow the company with unneeded risk. Mm -hmm. So I'm getting, you know, I'm going to be 40 in six months. Uh, my kids are growing up. You know, we've always said uh, we can have a pretty good company for yeah. 10 to 20 years, right? And, and we'll be able to retire very well and do very well. Um, at what cost do you grow a company so fast and you take on so much risk and borrow so much money That you're suddenly looking at yourself three years down the line and saying, "I my my debt is through the roof. I borrowed too much money. We've hired too many people. Our fixed costs are too high. We want to keep our fixed costs as low as possible and keep them as variable as possible for the for the time being." Have you had uh, moments where you did take unnecessary risk and then had to at least uh, go through some kind of scare? No. My my partner is is very um, he's very risk averse. He 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 he's a big fan of growing a business the traditional way, which yeah. is reinvest your money, do it well, think of five years. Whereas the larger companies are thinking of the next quarterly report, yep. doing all types of spending to hit specific numbers of revenue while losing net profit for the next quarter, um, big companies do that. And so we, we choose to take the, 
the marathon view as opposed to the uh, the sprint. So we don't take uh, any. We're very risk averse, I would say. Both the both of you. He's probably more. He's more money risk averse. I'm more partnership averse. You know, we get approached by you know lots of companies to build partnerships and you know sell you know distribute other products and diversify our company and you know I'm 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 risk averse to that stuff. And what is the 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 channel you use the most for generating demand and growth at this moment? We have a very sexy product. It's very visual. So we're not selling software, which is hard to to yeah. to sell, you know, uh, from for a visual person. So because we're so visual, you know, obviously social media like Instagram, Facebook, yeah. very useful for us. YouTube, very useful because it's such a visual product. So those work very well. And then obviously Google for the people that are into doing specific searches, those mm -hmm. people are ready to buy now. Yes, and the people are googling; they're ready to buy now. So that's where we put our money for the immediate sales. Um, it's a little bit more expensive, but it's people, it, you know, you, you generally find the, the, the where you can close. Social media is more for the brand awareness where it's like, okay, I'm aware that suitably exists. And when I do need a suit, I know who to go to. Yeah. And in terms of, of brand awareness, uh, is it content? A lot of content? Would... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, one thing uh, in becoming an entrepreneur Beyond the technology, probably most of the time we're thinking about content. Um, the product I feel I feel very confident about. We spent the first few years on it, um, and you know suits don't change much from a technical and construction mm -hmm. point of view. But you know the second most important thing after technology is our content. How do we continue being relevant using the different platforms? There's a new social media platform every year that comes out. We yeah. need to. You know, stay on top. Is it worth, for example, investing in Snapchat? You know, we said no. We said no. Snapchat is not something we want to invest in. Did we want to invest in TikTok? No. You know, that's not. Mm -hmm. It wasn't necessarily our market. So Instagram and Facebook remain to us the the strongest social medias and search engine. You know, optimization and marketing. One thing that I am very interested in is bespoke e-commerce players like like yourself what in your mind are the pros and cons what is what is the best about being uh, offering a bespoke product what is the worst about offering a bespoke product <laughs> yeah it's a good question bespoke products are are cool because they're unique so we play an important role in everybody's you know purchasing decisions So we're part of people's weddings, part of people's interviews. You know, we get to build that story with them. So that's probably one of the, the, the fun parts, you know, of doing stuff that's bespoke is you can't find these products somewhere else. You know, everybody's going to have that one suit and that's the only suit in the world that exists yeah. in that specific way. So that's, I would say that that's the fun part. The part that's probably less fun is... Uh, the customer that's looking for a bespoke experience given mm -hmm. that we're online. So we try to make it as close as possible to being bespoke, but it'll never be, <laughs> yeah, you know, never. going, going to, you know, <laughs> Savile Row. It's never going to be like that. Yeah. So you're going to have the customer that's, and, and the other thing is, is the understanding of what a customer is paying. So if you're going to go into Savile Row and spend, buy a bespoke suit, it's going to cost you two, three, four thousand dollars. You know, we're selling them, our suits for $600 to $800. So 
you know, to, 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 to have the expectation, I think, of people who are buying bespoke or made to measure uh, get a specific fit and analyze every little centimeter of a suit. Mm-hmm. That's probably the least pleasant thing because it's, I don't go into, let's say, a Kia dealership expecting to get BMW yes. coffee. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, I, I, I can see by by the way you express it that you must deal with it with uh, like quite regularly. And ha- yeah, and so have I, to, to <clears throat> devise strategies how how to communicate it better, right? Yeah, I think I think one of the things that we we realized in the first years was um, to really identify our customers. So if we're not attracting the right customers, the experience is not necessarily great. So throughout the buying process online and you know, for the people that come to get measured in our showroom, we make the, the, the expectations very clear. Yeah. Uh, there's no way that you can miss, miss it throughout the buying process. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Just to, to make sure, I, I think I know the answer to it, but we're talking about the same quality of a two, three grand suit for a third of the price, uh, half the price or something like that. Uh, yeah, well, so I, I would say that um, probably in the, What we're offering, um, probably half half the price. Mm-hmm. Same yeah. quality. Same quality. Something about the experience needs to change, uh, and technology makes it. Yeah, I think it's different. just not making errors. And you know, when you when you when you buy a luxury brand, you're paying for the in-store experience. You're paying for the employee's salary. You're paying for the coffee that they serve you. Those are all things that people don't realize that they're paying for when they're getting a certain product. So yeah. by being online, you're not paying for your coffee that we have to serve you. You're not paying for the janitor that needs to clean you know, the store every, every evening. It's all overhead costs that people don't realize that they're paying for. And have you ever in your journey, I don't know if you even uh, have some kind of line around it uh, today, But have you ever worked with non-bespoke products? Do you sell uh, things off the shelf? Our, our shop right now online, everything is bespoke. Um, yeah. From our ties to our shoes to our accessories, um, everything is, is, is custom. I mean, you can buy the actual, what we realized online is people don't necessarily want to design, right? Mm-hmm. Like I know that we, we talk about bespoke so you can design your suit, but we've realized that people want to see an actual suit and mm-hmm. they're like I like that one that's exactly what I, I don't need to configure it I don't need to change buttons options I want exactly that so um, I think that's sort of the revelation is that people don't necessarily as much as people like the concept of bespoke they still want to be told what to get given yeah. what their need, needs are given given their preferences their tastes yeah. and, and you can uh, and I imagine the the consultations you the virtual consultations right. are helping a lot with that that's right maybe instead of the the user designing their own suit they will have a consultation and based on their preference you'd recommend maybe this we one do it we one. do it all uh, we do it all one of the things that we've realized with online is If you wait for a customer to decide what color of buttons they want, it's going to take an hour. We, you have to make the recommendation to get to the next step. If you don't do it, then you're just going to, you know, and I don't think that we're targeting people that want, that care so much between button one, two, three. They just want to look good. So it's like, okay, so what button should I take? Take button number two, done. That's the beauty of online. One of the things I see as an advantage of the bespoke slash service model is these days, I think, It, 
acts more like a moat to protect your business because so many entrepreneurs are, are wanting to create the, the product that do it all for, for, for people and are not willing to, to do the service and create the deep knowledge about your ideal customer that service generates. Do, yeah. you, do you think that this is one of your competitive advantages? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think um, we'll attract a certain competitor, uh, a certain uh, customer, but we don't necessarily go after the traditional bespoke customers either, right? We're going after, because the traditional bespoke guys are just going to go to a store. And we don't want those guys either because those are the very, very picky guys that are going to look at every single thread on a button. Um, we want the guys that are saying, I usually go to a store and get off the rack stuff, but I have a special occasion. I have a special job now. I'm willing to spend a little bit more, but I don't want to go through coffee and five meetings. And I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I just want a good looking suit that I get to customize a little bit and fit good. Right. Yeah, so it's a, it's like a, It's like an in between. We're, we'll we're not targeting the guy that doesn't that wants the off the rack. We're not targeting the guy that goes to get likes the experience of a tailor and the coffee and the fancy music and you know the conversations, uh, five six meetings. That's not what we're looking for. We're looking at this guy here that wants to make the jump here but does not have yeah. the patience to go here. Yeah, I'm I'm your target audience, 100. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying I used to because of the pandemic. I used to yeah. to dance tango, so I okay. I, I have the the men's wear men wear fetish or something like that. Uh -huh. But I I buy off the rack because yeah, I, I think people men in general their online buying behaviors are just let me add to cart, put in my credit card, and I don't want to think about it anymore. I want it to be done. Yeah, so uh, I, just. But but in my case, it's not done because I always need to adjust things anyway mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. but I, i end up having a worse experience uh, <laughs> so Got it. i think i think you're solving something that's very relevant to at least to my my pre-covid way of life. <laughs> right right, right. <laughs> this was amazing i'm truly honored to have you today because you're doing the kind of business work the kind of perspective around business being bootstrapping and and now that's related to that that i i'm really passionate about and it's always always a pleasure to meet fellow entrepreneurs on, on a similar road appreciate it well thank thank you for giving us a voice i think it's very appreciated And uh, it's been a real pleasure to, to speak to you and keep doing what you're doing. I think it's very invaluable, especially, um, you know, from I've done quite a few podcasts and, and interviews. And I think your, your level of uh, questioning when it comes to the perspective of the technology, it's a little bit, like I said, more engineering uh, than I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm used to. So it's kind of a nice change. Amazing, man. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. I'm Daniel Weinman and this was Brave New Brands. I hope you had a great, great time and were able to learn a lot during this conversation. Please follow me on YouTube, LinkedIn and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite streaming service. I'll talk to you soon. Bye bye.